joy I owe When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken Though I won't be shaken Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love Shame no longer has a place to hide I am not a captive to the light I'm not afraid to leave my past behind Though I won't be shaken Though I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand Get out, church. There's power that can break off every chain. Oh, there's power that can bend the outer grave. There's resurrection power that can save. There's power in your name. The power in your name. There's power that can break off. Every chain, all oh, the power that can lift me out of grave. There's resurrection power that can say this power is your name, the power in your name. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear. Stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Oh, let's sing it again. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I Thank you so much, brother. Perfect love drives out all fear. And what a perfect love we experience in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for that reminder, brother. 
I want to welcome you this morning. I hope you're comfortable there in your homes or wherever you're joining us from. Uh, Point family and guests as well want to welcome you here. Thank you for taking the time to join with us in some worship and in the teaching of God's Word. And what a joy and a privilege it is, even to, uh, in a time like this, have the opportunity to use this venue of media to continue to be fed by the Word. And we need that daily intake. We need that time together of teaching and preaching of God's Word. So thank you for taking the time to be with us. My name is Jason Ford, and I am the missions pastor here at The Point. And again, welcome this morning. Hey, I just want to remind you of a few things, ways to stay connected and informed. Our, uh, we're doing uh, the best we can to keep things updated and information coming to you through social media, through our website, through email. So please make sure to be checking those avenues and staying up to date with what's going on. We've got online events and activities, different things happening throughout the week that you can connect to. Also, uh, on uh, midweek, on Wednesdays, Pastor Derek, I want to remind you, at 6 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Pastor Derek is teaching from God's Word on our midweek Bible study, so I would encourage you to check in for that. Also, um, we want to stay connected with you and prayer needs that you might have. We, we're not gathered here in this room today with our typical tear-off portion of our bulletin, but you still can communicate with us at prayer at longviewpoint.org. Prayer at longviewpoint.org. We want to continue as a staff to be praying for our church family, and that is a wonderful way that you can communicate uh, with us. Also, we are having connect groups that are still meeting via Zoom and some online avenues. So if you'd like to be a part of a small group where you can have that fellowship at different times, contact our church office and we can plug you in with one of our connect groups. And then lastly, just if you have a need, we are available. If you know of people in your community, neighbors, friends, families that have needs, we are available. Please let us know about those things that you, you as you're in your community and, and you're walking and talking and texting with folks, you may come across folks that are struggling, um, that could use uh, prayer or someone to reach out to them. I encourage you to take that first step. But then also, we would love to be connected with ways that we can continue to serve and reach out. So please don't hesitate to call our church office, email us, contact us in any way that you can. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to continue with some worship through song and look forward to continuing through First John and the preaching of God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, again, we come to you and we recognize that you are sovereign that you're good, you're trustworthy, you reign, you rule, you're not confined, you're not limited. And Lord, we pray that in the midst of these kinds of times that we are in these days, Lord, we trust, we know that you are working in special and significant ways all over this globe. In people's hearts, Father, through your faithful people, and may we be found faithful. May we be found faithful, Father, to speak of your goodness, to proclaim your peace, and to lift high the name of Jesus. And it's in his precious and good name that we pray. Amen.
There were chains around us By your grace we are no longer bound No longer bound You called me out of the grave You called me into the light You called my name and then my heart came alive Your love is greater Your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me Your love is greater your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me Let's sing it out I feel the darkness shaking All the dead are coming back to life I'm back to life I hear the song awaken All creation singing Cause you're alive You call me out of the grave You call me into the light You call my name and then my heart came alive Your love is greater Your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me Your love is greater Your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens
Yours is 
Oh 
wonderful cross. Oh, the of God, you died for us. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lord, we just, this morning, here in this building, at home, in our living room, wherever this is being watched, Lord, the body, even though we're not in this room, Lord, we are still the body, and, and this morning, together, we just want to say, we love you. Thank you. Jesus' name, amen. would turn in your Bibles with me to 1st John chapter 2 and verse number 15 this morning 1st John chapter 2 and verse number 15 while you're finding your way there just a brief update as to where we are obviously these are strange days and ministry is happening in very different ways than it ever really has before for us I would simply say to you that we are not in any way shape form or fashion closed in fact, the church is as alive, as active, moving as much as she ever has, and, uh, and I'm encouraged at what I've been able to see from this side uh, of the church and uh, the, the way you all have responded to the needs that have arisen over the past few weeks and uh, positioned yourself to meet needs that will arise invariably over the next several weeks, and I, I just hope that you're as encouraged as I am. Again, we are scattered. We are pilgrims of dispersion at the present hour, unable to be together under the same roof, but we are no less in one spirit. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit in which we enjoy fellowship even as we are scattered. One of the interesting things about the way this whole thing has unfolded um, is that it has put many of you in, uh, in, in a strange but good position uh, fathers to be the priest of the home, the pastor of the home, mothers to shepherd children and lead in ways spiritually that perhaps you have not before. Um, we no longer have the come and see option for evangelism. Come with me to church and hear the gospel. You are being pressed in new and exciting ways to communicate the gospel to those around you. 
We have been reminded that the work of ministry is not centralized on a church campus. It rests on the shoulders of each individual member of the body of Christ as we go out and about our life, although limited in many respects, we still enjoy a circle of influence in which we are able to communicate the promises of the gospel and uh, the needs of those around us are as great today as they have ever been before. So I want to encourage you to be faithful, to look for opportunities to be of kingdom service, to serve the king and to serve those around you. And I look forward with great anticipation that day when we're at last able to be back together once again. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 15, if you would read along with me. God's word says in verse 15, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. We know from this that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. In verse 20, the Bible says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, Paul is addressing his protege, Timothy, and he encourages him there Come to me quickly. In fact, he says, come before winter. Make haste to come and to be where I am. Paul is alone. And he lists those who were once among his missionary band who have, for various reasons, gone their own way. And within that list, in verse number 10, Paul says, Demas, having loved the present world, has forsaken me and returned to Thessalonica. Here John says, do not love the world. What John is warning against is the very thing that enticed Demas to return home, to return to Thessalonica, to abandon the missionary band, and to abandon the Apostle Paul. John says plainly here, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. In fact, John's message is very straightforward in verses 15 through 23. Do not love the world. It's passing away, and there are many who are passing away with it. John says, do not love the world. And this becomes the test within this text of our fellowship with God and our fellowship with the church. We've already seen a few of those tests in 1 John. 
If you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar and there is no truth in you. You have no place within the kingdom under those conditions. If you say that you have fellowship with the Father, yet you walk in darkness, given that he is light and in the light, you're a liar and there is no truth in you. Most of these tests come down to behavior, to ethics, or to fellowship. If you do not walk in a way that is reflective of Christian faith, you have no valid claim to Christianity. And at the same time, if you do not enjoy fellowship with God or with the people of God, you have no valid claim to Christianity. Here it's stated in the context of verses 15 through 23 as love for the world versus love for the Father. John says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. This is kind of a subtle thing, right? What does it mean to love the world? What does love for the world look like in contrast to love for the Father? There is an extent to which God loves the world, an extent to which God has called us to love the world. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What's intended there? John says, do not love the world. There is a sense in which we have been called to be good stewards of the creation about us. We've been given dominion over the, all the earth, and we ought to be good stewards, good managers of what God has entrusted to us. But what John references here in verse 15 in the clear imperative, do not love the world, is not what God has in view in John 3.16, nor is it what Moses had in view in Genesis 1 and 2 when he speaks of, references our stewardship, our management over the creation that God has formed around us. What John means here is the organization and the mind, the outlook of mankind that disregards God, that doesn't recognize him as, as uh, the, the one upon whom we are entirely dependent. The worldliness that John describes here is a life that is based upon this world and this life only. Lloyd-Jones says it means the outlook that has rebelled against God turned its back upon him. It means, in other words, the typical kind of life that's being lived by the average person today who has no thought of God but thinks only of this world and this life, who thinks in times of time and is governed by certain instincts and desires. It is the whole outlook upon life that is exclusive of God. In essence, what John warns us against here is worldliness. I said a moment ago, it's kind of subtle, and it is subtle. For the very reasons uh, that the, that passage earlier in 1 John was subtle in its distinction between walking in the light versus walking in the darkness. It is entirely possible to maintain some degree of commandment keeping while walking in the darkness. It is entirely possible to maintain a certain degree of commandment keeping while holding fast to a love for this world. John warns us here, do not love the world. Do not love the world. Don't allow yourself to become fixated on the things of this world. Look to heaven. Keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. And then he helps us in verse 16 to understand this more clearly, giving us some characteristics of worldliness or a life that is lived in disregard to the existence of the one who created us. In verse 16, John says, For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. These are the things that are born forth from the world. These are the elements of the world that we are to be resistant to, those things which do not emanate from the Father, but from our sinfulness, from the sinful system that is this world system. There is a great degree of overlap here in this list that John gives us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But they collectively sum up this world system. What stands to trip us up, to cause us to stumble, what, what draws us into this world system and pulls our focus off of the one who died for us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. The language of lust typically refers to legitimate desires which we seek to fulfill in illegitimate ways, right? So natural inclinations that may be exercised in a godly way but when couched in the language of lust, are obviously being fulfilled in ways that do not honor the Lord. I think of food and drink and sex. These are all legitimate desires, but desires that nonetheless can be fulfilled in illegitimate ways, clinging to the things of this world. The idea here is that we are, as followers of Jesus, filled with the Spirit that promises us the fruit of self-control, to maintain and to manage our desires, to control our desires rather than being controlled by our desires. So what it looks like to live in the world system under the influence of the lust of the flesh is to be without self-control, to be driven by a need for food, drink, sex, other natural desires in a way that is outside of what God would be pleased with in us. The lust of the flesh is a reference to illegitimately, sinfully fulfilling the natural desires that God has granted us. It's reference to carnality here. And then John says the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is a kind of vanity which delights in pomp and splendor in appearance. It's the idea of judging a book on the basis of, it, basis of its cover rather than what's on the inside. It is the want to be seen or regarded in a certain way. It is the need to feel a certain sense of superiority around the, about those who we experience life around uh, in a variety of, of different ways. The lust of the eyes is simply to go after what we see with our eyes, again, overlapping with the lust of the flesh. The pride of life is referenced here to self-glorification, wealth and ambition, and a general sense of superiority all fall in to this category. It's a difficult thing to quantify. It's a difficult thing to define. But walking in the Spirit, you know worldliness when you see it. We can bump into legalism in this particular area, I think, but at the same time, I don't think that the Western church is in much danger of deviating into legalism given the liberties that we so often feel the freedom to take. We, we need to pursue personal holiness. We need to seek Christ in every area of our life, the things that we watch, the things that we say, the music that we listen to, the way we conduct ourselves, the relationships that we enjoy, the way we manage ourselves within the context of marriage and family, all of these contribute to our faith walk with Jesus, and all of these should be dripping in gospel grace, that they should be and exhibit every day of what it looks like to walk with Jesus. 
It may be hard to quantify or define what worldliness looks like, but we have certainly witnessed in the person of Jesus what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. Jesus spells out for us in the Sermon on the Mount what it, what it looks like to live in the kingdom. So that's the message of Jesus' teaching over and over and over again. Come into the kingdom. Be a kingdom person. Live within the context of the kingdom. We talk about that often. He spells it out for us beautifully in the Beatitudes. He begins there, blessed are the poor in spirit. Where the world says blessed are the wealthy, those who are happy, those who are comfortable, Jesus says in the kingdom we have an entirely different worldview here. Here we say blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus says blessed are the meek, those of modest means, those who may not have much, those who may not be boastful, those who may not be braggadocious, those who may not have a lot to be proud of in a certain sense. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus says later, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you on my account. Where the world says, blessed are you when you live in comfort and peace and safety and all is well. Jesus says in the kingdom, our ethic is upside down. Our constitution is entirely different. In the kingdom, we walk different. We talk different. We look different than the world that is around us. It's a difficult thing, again, for me to say to you, this is what worldliness is. But it's not a difficult thing at all to say, this is what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. We need look no further than the example of our Savior, Jesus, to see what that looks like. So John says this is, this is the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's lifestyle. These are not from the Father, but from the world. And he says in verse 17, the world and its lust are passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. The reason it's wrong-headed, the reason that it's silly to fix your gaze on the things of the here and now is because they're going away. They are passing away. And if you give yourself to worldliness, if this is what you are striving for, if this is what makes you go from day to day, if you wake up hardwired for worldliness, if your goal is wealth and ambition and the fulfillment of the lust of the flesh, what you are craving for is perishing, and you will one day perish with what you crave for. This is why Jesus says so plainly, lay up treasures not on earth where moth and rust can destroy, but in heaven. Lay up an imperishable treasure. Here we're called away by the Apostle John. The call of God's Word is away from worldliness to recognize the fleeting nature of all that is around us and to cling to Jesus who has promised He will never leave us nor forsake us. John says, do not love the world. It is passing away. And if you cling to this world, you will pass away with it. That's not all that John has to say. He says in verse 18, children, it's the last hour. This idea of last hour has led some to believe that New Testament authors believe that Jesus is coming in the next few minutes and they somehow miss the mark. And this language is used sometimes to undermine the authority and the truthfulness of the New Testament. The reality is that the last hour began with the birth and certainly with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Even in the Old Testament, there is reference to the time of the Messiah and thereafter as the last hour, the last days that are coming. We began the last hour, the last epoch in the world's history at the resurrection of our Savior. We are in those days. John says, children, it's that time. That, that long prophesied, that long anticipated season is here. And as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. We know from this that it is the last hour. Now, anytime reference is made to Antichrist, we get a little crazy. Let's be honest. It's amazing to me how we tend to fixate on this idea that's really referenced infrequently in the Scripture. There are a few things about the Antichrist that are clear. The book of Daniel, it seems clear enough that the Antichrist is a person of political power, a person who enjoys great authority in the earth. In the New Testament, it seems clear enough in the teachings of the Apostle Paul, especially 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that the Antichrist is a person who enjoys great religious power. It is clear in the teaching of John here in 1 John chapter 2 that the Antichrist is one who comes out of the fellowship of the church. Not someone on the outside looking in, but someone who is raised up from within what is believed to be the brotherhood. He is among those who was with us, but went out from us, that it might be manifest that he was never really with us. And then the book of Revelation makes it clear that that political authority and that religious authority spoken of by Daniel, by Jesus, by Paul, and by John is combined, it's brought to bear in one person the Scripture speaks of as the Antichrist. But John's concern for the church he's addressing here, and my concern, frankly, for you, is not with the Antichrist, but the many Antichrist who have gone out from us, and not us in a literal sense, but us in the sense of the fellowship of the church. John says, you need to be aware that even at the present hour, many Antichrists have come. We know from this that this is the last hour. These are the last days. And he says again, there are many anti-Christian influences that have risen up even from within what is believed to be the fellowship of the church. He says in verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. So John is writing to a church that's being troubled by influences that now exist on the outside, but were once a part of the inner circle, once a part of the church, but they've now drifted from the truth, and they seek to drag along with them other, other former brothers, other believers, that they would follow after their pattern of life. Now, in the context of 1 John chapter 2, what they seem to be calling upon the church to do is to forsake holiness and to go after the lust of the flesh, to forsake the truth of the gospel for various other worldly philosophies. 
John says you need to be aware of this. You need to be cautious and you need to be careful. He's speaking here of the dangers from within the church. Now, this is a scary thing to think about, a scary thing even to talk about, but the reality is that sometimes from within what we believe to be the fellowship of the church come influences that are not healthy or wholesome, that lead us astray. Now, the encouraging thing about all that John has to say here is that he provides us with a resolution. You are children of the light, he says. In fact, in verse 21, he says, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth. He's simply reminding them of the truths of the gospel in which they must remain if they are to remain in the fellowship of the Spirit and the fellowship of the church. By faith in Jesus Christ, through the power of the gospel and the presence of the Spirit, you must resist the difficulties, the temptations, and the troubles that can come up from even within the body of Christ. He speaks here of troubles from within. This is the great danger. But he doesn't point to the danger without directing us to some resolution. He gives us the ability to be able to identify the presence of these ungodly influences in our life in verses 20 through 23. He says in verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you have knowledge. I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Now, John says, you don't necessarily have to be worried about the presence of evil influences when they come from within the body or if they come from without the body, because you have an anointing from God, because you know the truth. Now, both of those two realities, the anointing of the Spirit that we enjoy through Jesus and the knowledge of the truth are working in tandem. There, there will be people, invariably there are people, who will say, well, God has spoken to me on this issue. I feel as though this is right. Brothers and sisters, you cannot trust your heart to guide you in discerning the truth. You must trust the leadership of the Spirit, informing and bringing application and enlightenment to what we know of God's Word. If there is anything that John is pressing here, if there's anything that we're reminded of in terms of its urgency in reading that passage, it is the importance of knowing God's word. Some of you are just tossed about by every wind of doctrine because you've such a lack of familiarity with what God's word says. It's difficult for you to distinguish what is right from what is wrong. Immerse yourself in God's Word. Read God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Pray through God's Word. And you'll be amazed at how something that is so subtle on, on the surface, God makes abundantly clear through the work and power of His Spirit. One, one, of, one of the scary things for me as a pastor, um, and I, try, I, I have tried historically to stay as far away as possible from social media, but that's a practical impossibility these days, are the, are the number of people that I might have otherwise assumed to be walking in the Spirit, following faithfully after Jesus, who so clearly, given social media activity, do not have the ability to discern truth from error who are quick to attach themselves to false teachers, to teachers 
who don't have a basis for the ministry that they enjoy, or who teach things that are in absolute contradiction to God's Word. And I'm not talking here about second and third tier issues. I'm talking about matters of foundational importance. That's always deeply troubling to me when I see that. Because it's an indication of the absence of a discerning spirit. And it's an indication of a good understanding of God's Word. And it's almost always the product of our being driven by our affections. We have a certain admiration or a certain affection for an individual, or we have a certain affection for someone who was once a part of our circle or our family or our friends, and they attachment, have an attachment to that particular person, which is why Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians that we ought not be driven by our affections. Let unbelievers not be yoked together with believers. Take care that your affections don't lead you astray. Brothers and sisters, walk under the direction of the Spirit of God, informed by the Word of God. God's Word will not lead you into error. John says in verse 22, who is a liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son can have the Father he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. This may seem like a crazy, far-out kind of doctrine that John describes here, one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. But I could point you to contemporary examples of so-called Christian ministries who would sign on to such a teaching. What John is warring against here, what he's battling here, is, is an early form of Gnosticism, it seems, which teaches that either Jesus was in this phantom body that had no flesh, he was merely spirit, or that he was taken up as the Son of God at his baptism. There's a strong distinction between the spirit and the flesh in the person of Jesus. And again, two-thirds of the ministries that you'll find on TBN and various other Christian broadcasting stations would sign on to such a, a teaching. We need to be very, very careful that we're not unduly influenced even by those who rise up from within the ranks of what is believed today to be the church. They were among us, but they were not of us. And it should be made manifest by the work of the Spirit in us and through the instruction of God's Word before us that these are not gospel influences in our life. I, this may be of extra importance during this season of our lives when we're separated from the gathering of the local body and we are drinking at a multitude of, of faucets. We're, we're gathering around cisterns from all across America and we're finding food for our soul. I just want to charge you that you be careful and that you be cautious that what is laid before you is the truth of God's word. Again, John says in verse 22, who is a liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. I just want to say to you, this is not the only heresy. This is just the heresy that John is addressing in our text. John says the last days are characterized by anti-Christian influences that even pop up from within the church. The last days are characterized by a great falling away. They were among us, but they went out from us. 
The last days are characterized by great deception. There's all kinds of misrepresentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's part and parcel of living in the last days. If there's one thing that's clear about this season in world history, it is that deception rules the hour. We are, we are living at this present hour under the, under the power and influence of the prince of darkness, the prince of, of great deception. It stands to reason that that would be a major part of our experience here. But our, our soul is anchored by the presence of the Spirit and the instruction of God's Word. Not only are the last days characterized by these influences from within and from without by great deception all around, these days are characterized by great assurance for the believer. Look at what John says in what will be next week's text in verse 24. What you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. If what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. John says the condemnation is for the deceiver, but don't forget who you are. Remember last week's text, John said, this is who you are, an overcomer. You've overcome the evil one. You're strong. God's word remains in you, and you remain in God's word. You know the Father. You know the Son. This is who you are in these difficult and dark days. Be reminded of who you are. What you've heard from the beginning must remain in you. The gospel that saved you at the first will save you at the last. The gospel that saved you at the first will save you every day and sustain you along the way. It's the gospel, John says. What you've heard from the beginning must remain in you. One of the things that happens when certain things are taken away is that we're forced to reckon with the degree to which we are attached to the things of this world. When our retirement funds don't perform as we had anticipated, we are reminded of the degree to which we are attached to the things of this world. When our health fails us, or even there's the threat of a health failure, we are reminded of the degree to which we are attached to the things of this world. And there are all sorts of things that can happen in our life that leave gaps of time and energy. Um, we've certainly experienced that over the last weeks and probably will for the next several weeks. And I just, I just wonder if you've observed in this season of abnormality that Jesus is enough, that the gospel is good enough to hold you up, to sustain you, that if all your worldly goods were taken away, if your health and well-being were stripped away, that Jesus would, in the end, ultimately and finally be enough. John warns us again, don't love the world because it's passing away. And there are many who will pass away with it. But at the same time, he exhorts us that we don't have to perish with the world. We don't have to perish like the world and we don't have to perish with the world because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, he says, this is the promise that he himself made to us eternal life. The gospel holds forth for us the promise of everlasting life, the promise of a life of 
great abundance, not material gain, but the fullness of the Spirit, joy and gladness, come what may. The promise of life on the other side, even beyond the grave, even after death in the here and now. My exhortation to you this morning is no different than it would be under any other circumstances. It's simply to come to Christ. Don't perish with the world and all of its vain glory. But come to Christ. Come to the cross of ugliness and shame and sorrow and sadness. Come to the smitten Savior. Come to the uncomely one who died for our sin that we might have grace and mercy and forgiveness. I, I, I know that given the way we're forced to communicate during these days, there's an added layer, an added obstacle be between us. And in many of your minds, therefore, an added obstacle for responding to the teaching of the gospel. Like, like there'll be some of you who will determine I have to wait until we're able to be back together again to write my heart with Jesus. Now, I just want to remind you that the church is not today, nor has it ever been a building. It is a body. And the spirit that's present in this sanctuary is present in your living room, in your car, wherever it is that you're gathered. And you needn't wait until we're able to meet under this roof to make right with Jesus. This morning, at this very hour, if you would look back across your life and observe that clearly you have lived with a love for the world and not a love for the Father, at this moment, you should bow and plead for grace and mercy and forgiveness through Jesus. And the Bible promises that as you do, God is faithful to grant it. This morning, right now, at this very hour, give your heart to Jesus. Don't love this world. Don't perish with this world and the many who are passing away with it. Rather, come to Christ for life, life everlasting. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and for its truth, for the privilege that is ours in gathering under these unique circumstances in places all over our area. God, I pray that you'd establish through the work of your spirit an altar in those living rooms, at this in those cars gathered, God, and that you'd work powerfully to save. I pray, God, that you'll help us to hold the things of this world loosely. Lord, as they're swept away, might we look not to empty hands, but to the cross of our Savior, and the heaven that awaits us through Jesus. I'm thankful, Lord, for the way that you are at work through this body, for the way the gospel has gone with every member of this church, wherever it is that they have gone, wherever it is that they have made their settled place for these days, God, you are there with them. And the gospel is advancing in homes and neighborhoods across our county in the strangest of ways. Lord, we give you all the praise and the glory for that. Lord, I pray that you would be pleased in these extraordinary times to save many. That in this moment, God, the still small voice of your Holy Spirit would speak to sinners. Call them out of death and into life. Make them alive in Christ Jesus. May you receive all the glory. In Christ's name, amen.
we're going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to respond in a variety of different ways. This morning, if you give your heart to Jesus Christ, we'll monitor our, our comments on these videos as they're shown in a variety of different platforms. There are numbers on the screen before you of all of our pastors. You'll be able to text or to call. Maybe calling is awkward. This is a weird culture when it comes to calling versus texting. Send us a text message and communicate to us what the Lord is up to in, in your heart, in your life. It will be our joy to hear of what Jesus is doing in your home and to have the privilege to pray for you and perhaps even to follow up with you and help you to understand what the next steps in your journey with Jesus will look like. My, my fear it is that you'll hesitate given our unusual circumstances. But my prayer is that wherever you are, under whatever circumstances you find yourself at this very moment, that you'll break down your pride, that you'll fight through the awkwardness of whatever the situation is, and yield to the work of God's Spirit in your life whether it's the confession of sin, the setting aside of worldly thoughts and worldly ways, or bowing your heart before the King, yielding in a saving way to the authority and lordship of Jesus over your life. Has the Lord found you faithful? You reckon with the work of His Spirit in this moment. Are you right with God? If you, if you were to perish in this moment, this question hangs in a way it, hasn't before if you were to perish in this moment have you any confidence whatsoever that you'd find rest with Jesus and there's some of you who'd answer that in the affirmative under great deception my prayer is that God would through his spirit grant discernment and wisdom break a heart grant the gift of faith I just want to encourage you to count the cost to go the way of the cross would you join me once more in prayer? Lord, wherever you find your sheep this morning, would you call, call their name? And Lord, I trust that they'll hear and recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd. Gather us to yourself. Lord, thank you for the promise of your word that you sheep that are not yet of this fold. Build your kingdom, we pray. For Christ's name and his glory. Amen. This is the time in our service when we ordinarily receive an offering. We'll receive an offering this morning, although again under unusual circumstances. There is on our website an opportunity for you to give online. We added last week a new online giving option that you have been utilizing, and I hope that you found it helpful for you in being able to maintain your generosity and uh, faithfulness in tithing to the work of Christ's kingdom. If you're meeting together uh, by Zoom, I don't think at this point there are connect groups that are meeting together in person, but if you have a group of less than 10 that has elected to meet together, we've asked and encouraged connect leaders to receive an offering within their group and then deliver that um, as quickly as they possibly can to the church ministry goes on. I, I hope to share with you in the next week or so um, just a report of some things that are going on here, ministry, and, and then a general sense of where we are financially. I, I want to encourage you to continue to give as God has called you to give. There, there is 
one addition that I want to make to that this morning, and I, I, I hope that you'll hear me clearly when I say what I'm about to say. There, there are some of you who have been very faithfully uh, faithful to give beyond the tithe that God, I believe, has called us to give consistently without regard to what's going on in our life. You've given beyond that, and there are many of you who have made commitments beyond your tithe to give to the 2020 fund for debt retirement. I need to say this to you, and I need you to hear me clearly. If because of the change in the economy, the changes in your work life and experience, you're not able to make those commitments, you need to not feel bad about that. Be faithful to tithe. Yes, that's what the Lord's called us to do. But if you've been going beyond that, if you've even made commitments within yourself to do beyond that, and the resources simply aren't there, you need to know that God's going to provide for his people. You, you, need, you need to be relieved of any guilt that you might sense there. So you work that out with fear and, and trepidation. But from, from my heart to yours, what, what I don't want to see is you unduly burdened during this season that may be difficult for many of your families. I trust the generosity of God's people. He's always taken care of me. So far as I know, he's always taken care of all of his people. And he's promised he'd do so until the end. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. So you give like the Lord leads you to give. And don't you give a dime more than that. And I trust that God will take care of the work of his kingdom. I, I want to uh, thank John for being here and leading us in worship. He's going to continue to play for a moment. He's going to give you an opportunity to give, to work through that process. If we can help you in the church office with that process, please give us a call. Uh, Rhonda's done a great job at, at putting some things on the screen for you to be able to observe and to walk through that process. Uh, so th thank you and, and, and thank these other brothers and sisters uh, for, for working diligently to put a good quality product before you um, this morning. I'm going to step aside and invite, invite our discipleship pastor uh, to come, and he's going to share with, with us a word about Connect, and then he'll dismiss our time together in prayer. Well, good morning, church. Does this not make you long to gather? I look forward to that day and pray for that day and just hope that uh, even now, as you're gathering in your homes, that you've sensed community. I hope that you have a chance to participate in a connect group, to be able to talk together and, and discuss together and fellowship together around the truths of God's Word. Some things that you may want to kick around, even at home, with your family, uh, maybe even on the telephone with a friend, or hopefully as a connect group as you gather and as you meet together, even if by Zoom. Some things you may want to talk about is, what, what are some ways that you struggle personally to battle uh, having a love for the things of this world? What are some things that you can pray over one another? And how can we battle that? What can we do to encourage each other? And basically, what is your battle plan for holiness? This is a time for us to sharpen one another. And I'd encourage you just to spend some time now thanking the Father for calling us into the light. 
What a marvelous, amazing privilege it is to be children of the light, to have God's Word and Spirit guiding us. Maybe this is a time to spend discussing the difference between a worldly and a kingdom worldview. As Brother Wade reminded us, it can be subtle, but the Word of God, the Spirit of God, guides us to have a kingdom mindset, a kingdom godly worldview. And I'd also like to encourage you, be praying. Pray for those who are in your life that are being carried away by this world, who will perish with this world. Pray for God to open their eyes. Reach out to them with the goodness of the gospel. This world's passing away. We need to be sure that we are doing all we can to take people with us to heaven. If you find yourself listening to this video and you're not in a connect group, I want to ask you to contact me. And I would love to help you right now get connected with a connect group. My email is trey at longviewpoint.org. This is, even now, we can help you get connected by Zoom. It might be the easiest time we've ever had to get connected to a connect group. And let me remind you as a church, let's be on mission in this season. Would you pray with me? Father, we bow before you today, praising you as God most high. Thanking you for your word and for your spirit. Thanking you for the body of Christ. And thank you for the privilege it is to have a time to worship, to have a time to listen to your word preached. I pray that you would help us to be faithful, not only to be hearers, but doers of your word. And as we go all over this place, God, use us for your glory. Use us as your people to draw people to yourself. Lord, help us to be faithful to expand your kingdom by making disciples that make disciples. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.